there is only one true way to be enlightened and entertained with the best sports knowledge. That way is the American way. Welcome to the American Way podcast. Here's your host, Amir. Assalamu alaikum, uh, loyal listeners. Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode today. Uh, hope you guys had a good, uh, good, good, long week, good Memorial Day weekend. Uh, thanks to all the people who have served. Uh, it's been a, been a while since we last recorded, but uh, the, the other day, spent some time with the, the impeccable, the, the impeccable and incredible Michael Russo of the Athletic Minnesota. We chatted about the wild, unfortunately. Uh, their season ending in, in a grueling seven-game series to the Vegas Knights. So we talked about that. We talked about uh, uh, lingering questions about this team that on the rise heading into the offseason. So without further ado, here's my podcast. Here's my interview from the other day with Michael Russo. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining us again. It's a beautiful Monday morning. I'm glad to be joined here by the Athletics' Michael Russo for a, a, post, a post-mortem of sorts. Uh, had a, a tough, tough thought series. I will admit, I'll admit to the audience here, to you, got, to you fellow, uh, to you loyal listeners, after Game 4, I thought it was over, but they, they managed to push it to a Game 7. So here to analyze what went wrong and what... Uh, the 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 bright future that lays lays ahead in this off season, uh, Mr. Russo. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. You know, as you as you said, just a little uh, getting ready for the off season here. Um, have a lot of uh, fi- final week availability uh, this week uh, with a bunch of players and Billy Garen and Dean Evison. And uh, but but as you mentioned, Mira, uh, you weren't the only one that that thought it was over after Game Four. I I uh, basically buried them in the Athletic and. Uh, you know, when they came back and made it uh, a series again in games five and six, I definitely regretted the column that I wrote after game four. And and they worked hard to get themselves back in. And, and you do have to wonder how different the series would have ended if Jonas Bardeen didn't get hurt so early in game seven. But, uh, you know, that's that's hockey. And unfortunately, it played a uh, major, major impact in that final game. And, and now it's Vegas's turn to deal with the Colorado Avalanche, which obviously didn't go well in game one. No, it didn't. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's fair to question. Uh, just looking back on the series, there are multiple points that uh, multiple what if points in the series. You wonder, like a, a game like Game Two, where they couldn't, they they seemingly failed to get up to, to get a goals across. They they tried numerous times in game in Game Two, and you look at games three and four, both involved disallowed goals. So you just you're, you you wonder about those situations. I, what I want to ask you first, though, is I had a lot of people on social media complain about the officiating, and I was the one. I was one who I would didn't want to blame the officiating. I felt that just the play of the the Vegas's play that it just it just in, uh, it inhibited the Wild's ability to perform, and I had a lot of people snapping back. So, what looking back on all seven games, what what do you think? Do you think that the officiating was 
uh, subpar? Do you think I do you think I was onto something? What What do you think? Well, um, you know, it's hard to say subpar, uh, but but I don't think it was great. Um, you know, the the problem with the officiating in the NHL is it definitely changes once uh, things get into the postseason. And I think Kirill Kaprizov's one guy that 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 uh, learned that. What I don't like about the officiating is, you know, when the referees just sit there and watch, you know, a guy like Kaprizov get get cross checked three times in a row on the corner, or um, you know, on dump ins. Uh, you know, clear textbook interference on on dumpins and things like that. Um, you know, obviously missed high sticks and things like that happen all the time. But it, you know, I don't think it was great. But uh, but I agree with you. I mean, you know, it's it's just you got to fight harder in the playoffs. And um, you know, I don't. I just don't like when referees kind of throw out the rule book and and things like that. But you have to play through it. And and obviously the Wild didn't do as good a job as Vegas because Vegas is the team that's still playing. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that the Wild lost by any stretch of the imagination because of the officiating, but I don't think it was um, it was the finest example of officiating that the NHL has ever seen. Yeah, I think so too. I think I think what, what I was trying to explain and what you explained so eloquently, eloquently here is the playoffs are just a different beast. Like in, in any sport, whether it's hockey or just any – any sport, just the, the officiating and just how how the 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 an, the animal of the playoffs is just completely different than how games are called in the regular season. And I feel like just with the young with the young guys on the roster like Kaprizov and like Efiala, I felt like those guys they they the first few and they played well in game one, but I feel like just they failed to adjust the first few games to the. The playoff atmosphere. I felt like yeah. they they were able no. to they were able to rebound a little bit, but I felt like a lot of people were kept just at every turn wanted to blame the officials. But it's like it was there was in- interference on both sides. So it's like well, it's just you have to adjust to the you just have to adjust to the a- atmosphere, I suppose. Yeah, no, and that's a good point, Amir. I mean, look, the the Wild have had a lot of first round exits in a row. They haven't gotten past the first round since twenty fifteen. So at some point, you just gotta. You know, probably as an organization, figure out why that is. And one of the reasons that I do think it is is that um, you know you don't get a lot of special teams in the playoffs, a lot of power plays, and so you've really got to outplay the other team at you know at even strength. And it's so much harder to get to the dirty areas in postseason hockey that you know one area that we're in the Wild probably could improve all these years is just getting grittier and bigger and and more rugged and, and getting in the net. Now, do you sacrifice skill if you do that? Um, you know, you could probably argue uh, that that could potentially happen. Same thing with speed and things like that. So you got to find that sort of happy medium. And, um, you know, I, I think that the Wild obviously have to do a better job adjusting to the postseason because they're the ones that are, um, you know, always after round one seemingly watching from the sideline. Absolutely. And you bring up something I, I was going to wait till later to bring it up, but I'll, I'll, hit, I'll hit you with the big question I have now. Compared to the previous times under uh, the, the 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 current uh, veteran core of the about being bounced out in the first round, I tend to believe this is a bit different. Just because there was very few expectations heading into training camp, you have a generally young core. It's to, you whatever. Although they failed to admit it, it's like it was in, in the midst of a rebuild or re regrouping of the roster. So I'm thinking, am I am I wrong in thinking that? It's a it's better than the other times being bounced out of the first round. That it just seems like brighter and better things are happening for this team compared to the previous three or four times 
that they were bounced out of the first round. You, you sort of felt like they were in a malaise in those previous yeah, instances. No. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, look, they played one of the best teams in the NHL in round one, something that wouldn't normally happen in a normal year, right? You're not playing usually Vegas uh, in round one. Uh, but this was the year that the Wild were going to have to play Vegas or Colorado. It's just the way that the divisions have been realigned re- during this odd season. Um, you know, the, look, Vegas tied, they, they, you know, the, the most victories in the NHL and tied for the most points in the NHL, right? I mean, the only reason why they don't have home ice advantage this round is because uh, Colorado had more regulation wins, but Vegas actually had more victories. So um, the Wild didn't play a slouch, that's for sure. And, and um, you know, you look at the regular season as a whole, the Wild had a good year. Kaprizov came out and was just absolutely unbelievable. Fiala had a good year. Erickson Eric had a breakout year. Talbot gave him great goaltending. Um, you know, guys like Felino had outstanding seasons. There were a lot to be, uh, you know, optimistic about. Plus, you have all these draft picks and, and prospects coming, right? I mean, you got a bunch of prospects, and, and they've got nine draft picks uh, as of right now going into this July's draft. So, um, you know, I do think the future looks bright. I know that Wild fans sometimes roll their eyes at it because they always hear about next year and next year and next year and next year. But, look, this is a process. This was always supposed to be a transition year. And I think that Billy Guerin and Dean Everson are doing a quality job getting this team, you know, to that next level. But it takes some time. Uh, Wild fans are understandably impatient, but uh, but I agree with you that, that the Wild showed well in the postseason. It very easily could be, you know, you know, sitting here in the second round right now if they had a bit, you know, better puck luck, some breaks along the way from the officials, uh, some better injury luck. You know, you lose Carson Susie with probably what I think are broken ribs, and, and then you lose Jonas Pardine with the shoulder injury so early in game one and now you're relying on four defensemen including a rookie that only played three playoff games uh, you know and Kalen Addison obviously it's, it's just a tough go against a team like Vegas they hung around half that game against Vegas but eventually uh, that 4-2 goal uh, just turned the game around absolutely and also I don't believe Erickson Eck he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't the same in game seven too I know he, before he re, before he aggravated the injury he's still he just didn't look right in the first period, so that's that's another injury that I think I and I know it's it's hard to play the what if game, but I do wonder in that game seven that's that, and I think but even without even before the Brodine injury, I guess the, they they did they didn't play the same way they played in games five and six. That early in the series, if you looked, uh, obviously you do, but the, for the audience that the, the when the when the pace was faster. They struggled, and I wonder what pieces they could add in the offseason in addition to Kaprizov and Ek that can make them a fat, a, be able to play, uh, play better faster. But it seemed when they slowed the game down in games five and six, and they just focused defensively, and they really mucked it up. And I don't want to say mucked it up, but they like they slowed the pace down. They sort of dictated the pace, whereas even before the Brodine injury in game seven, it just seemed like it was going to be a very fast-paced game. So... It, it's it, it's interesting to want to question if the injuries don't happen if it's it's an it, it, interesting game to play it's, yeah i know no doubt about it i mean look vegas uh you know you always know in vegas that they're going to come out strong and the wild we're going to have to weather a storm so the first five minutes of that game they obviously did that um but the wild some had some chances that they didn't bury and eventually got themselves back in the game on a great parisi goal then eventually caprice out tying goal the disappointment was um, you know, just poor defensive zone uh, coverage on the uh, third goal that turned out to be the winner by by uh, by Max Pacioretty and then obviously the Zach Whitecloud goal. So, I mean, look, they, they've 
I, I feel like in a lot of ways that this team is on the right track, but they've got to obviously make some changes this offseason. They're going to have to re-sign some guys, but they're going to have to go upgrade their center position. I mean, for the sanity of guys like Fiala and Kaprizov, I don't, I just don't think that you could come back next season and have, you know, Victor Rask and, and Ryan Hartman, who's to me a better winger. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, you put them back in their normal positions or Hartman in his normal position and, and then eventually, uh, you know, upgrade your center position. I just think that the team's just going to get better and better uh, as, as you go along. But look, they didn't have a lot of production production up the middle. I mean, Nico Sturm had 10 goals, but he played win for most of the year. Erickson Eck had 19 goals. But other than that, I mean, Rask went 20 games at one point. We won even strength point playing with Zuccarello and Kaprizov. That's just unacceptable. And, um, and Hartman only played center because of the necessity, because this team was so weak down the middle, because guys like Joe Hansen couldn't do it and, and, and things like that. So, um, you know, they've got to they've gotta figure out a way to get better up the middle. And I think that if they do that, this team is a center or two away from being a perennial contender. So what do you think they can do? I mean, I have two ideas. I know one of them you addressed in your column the other day about Jack Eichel's probably very unlikely just because... Buffalo would probably demand a haul, but I'm curious. Like in free agency, I know Nick uh, Nick Foligno probably is not a frontline center. So, and Nugent Hopkins probably is is, is going to be unrealistic. So, what are some realistic options? You think? Obviously, it's still a couple months before the free agency period will start. But what do you think at this at this juncture? You think are like realistic avenues to getting a frontline center? Because I personally believe Eck is really good. But similar to Koivu in his prime, I feel like Ek is probably better on the second line. Maybe uh, if you put Eriksson Ek next to Fiala and you could find a top line center, to, or not even top line, but somebody who could better set up Kaprizov. But I'm, I guess I'm not finding what realistic options are out there. What, what yeah, do you think? I mean, uh... Yeah, I mean, look, if you go get Eichel, you one, you have to worry about his health issue because he's got a major neck injury that's created this rift inside that organization on how to repair it. So I'd be frightened to acquire a guy with a neck injury that's a perennial, um, you know, out-of-playoff player anyway. Um, but it's going to cost an amazing amount. Like, to do it, to be able to afford to take back $10 million, but also re-sign Eriksson and Kaprizov, you've got to give up money. If you're Billy Guerin, so I don't see how you could do that deal without Dumba and Fiala being part of it, and I don't know if Buffalo would even do that because if you're going to trade Jack Eichel, you're going to want a top center back, and the Wild Eyes don't have a top team. center. And in terms of prospects, you may have Marco Rossi, but look, Buffalo passed team. over Marco Rossi in last year's draft, so maybe they don't even want him. And now, if even if they only took him because they valued maybe Quinn better, you know, maybe uh, Rossi's health situation is going to going to them from wanting to do that deal so you know I, in my opinion it's it's even if Billy Guerin goes hard after Eichel the Wild might not have the pieces to make it fit make it work um, so after that as you mentioned I mean you know it, it's sort of piecemeal like I don't look at Ryan Nugent Hopkins first of all he's playing wing in Edmonton but I don't look at him as a first line center um, you know so now you're going to take him from playing wing all year put him back to center and make it and force feed him to be your number one center like this team already does. He's he already makes six million, so he's gonna want to raise from that. I don't know if you want to do that do that for with a guy like RNH. So after that, I mean you've got to go cheaper routes. I mean, you know, Sam Reinhardt potentially is available. Buffalo's trying to extend him. Um, he's perennial, you know, twenty five years old, perennial twenty goal guy already. Um, it's still gonna cost you a lot to go get him. 
uh, you know, both money-wise because you're going to have to re-sign him, but also asset-wise. Um, I don't think that Florida is going to trade Barkov. Now, he might play hardball with a contract, and if that's the case, then they have no choice but to do that. And with, could the Wild maybe try to orchestrate a deal for Barkov around a guy like Fiala, who obviously Paul Fenton is one of Bill Zito's right-hand men down in Florida and loves Fiala, maybe, potentially. Um, other than that, you know, you're, you're just – you're, you're going to get depth guys, right? Nick Foligno's not a top-line center at this stage in his career. Derek Stefan's not a top-line center at this stage in his career. Those are options, um, but it's not easy. And, and um, you know, I don't think the Wild should even broach going after Kuznetsov. That's, that's for, for an organization that's trying to improve the culture in the locker room, I would not get a guy like him that has had multiple uh, examples of having character flaws. So... Um, uh, you know, right now it's there's no easy answer from Billy Garen, but you know he's going to try. Def, absolutely he will. Uh, do you think the expansion draft will dictate how they go about the center position? I mean, me personally, I just as an observer, I'm a bit nervous. I, obviously, as we're looking at that first round series, uh, Tuck basically kicked their tails, so I'm I'm worried. I think there I think there are some avenues you you would try to take in the expansion draft. I'm. I'm not sure how they're going to go about it, but I'm curious if that'll dictate if, if free agency is easier or harder or, or how trades well, come about. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm very fascinated by what's going to happen in that yeah. development. Well, I mean, look, if you, if you make a big trade for Eichel, you're going to obviously have to protect Eichel, but, you know, to make that big trade, you're probably giving up Dumbo and Fiala or whoever or Greenway or something like that. So you're kind of alleviating some of the other issues that you have by making that deal but if it's any other type of thing you're gonna have to do it after the expansion draft and, and sort of react to what you lose and then um you know deal with it going into free agency or things like that same reason why i would not expect the wild right now to you know right away resign benino and cole because they're going to be left unprotected so maybe you do that the week leading between the expansion draft and free agency so uh, we'll see there, um, but I do think the expansion draft is going to dictate a lot about this team next year. Look, they're going to lose a big player, um, you know, somehow. Whether it's Carson Soucy, it could be Nico Sturm, it could be Matt Dumba, whoever, however they wind up exposing guys, we'll see. Uh, it could be a goalie, and whatever happens in that expansion draft, Billy Garrett absolutely might have to react in some way. What, whether the mechanism is a trade or free agency, he's probably going to have to go replace somebody that they lose. Yeah. I guess I'm curious now. Initially, I thought uh, now it looks like it's not going to happen with Paris, but I'm curious. Do you think Suter or Zuccarello would be willing to waive their non-moves uh, if they're if they're promised? Because uh, with the with the flat cap, it doesn't seem likely if they were exposed that Seattle would want to take those contracts. So I'm curious if uh, if Billy would would go to them those two specifically and ask them if to move to remove uh, to waive their no moves. To allow him to protect somebody else, I'm, what do you th- what do you think that about that? Yeah, no, I think that he's going to probably ask both Parisi and and Suter. I don't know about Zuccarello because he turned out to be so important. Like, could you imagine he waves and they do take him? Um, you would really have to have a guaranteed assurance that that's not going to happen for Zuccarello to, to do that. Um, but Parisi and Suter, I agree with you. I don't see any way that Seattle would take either of those players. Um, and so, um, you know, for the good of the franchise, you would hope that they would say yes. I think Billy Guerin could probably say to them, like, look, uh, if you do that, it's obviously going to be public. I think fans will respect the fact that you did something like that. Um, so it, it'll, it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting. I do think that Billy is going to uh, 
have those conversations with them, maybe in the exit meeting uh, coming up, but it's going to have to happen at some point here because that will determine Billy's exposure. Like, if all of a sudden Suter waived or Parisi waived, that absolutely frees up the wild of some problems. And um, I know that Billy Guerin doesn't want to lose Dumba. So, um, so I do think that he should have those conversations at some point. And for the good of the franchise, you would hope that they would say yes. Well, I think Suter could. I think Parisi, I think there personally there's no chance. I think I, somebody else that you probably know uh, he, uh, told, told me, uh, quote-unquote, uh, Parisi hates his guts. So I don't think I don't think uh, Parisi's I don't think Parisi's gonna want to make anything easy for the front office. So I don't I guess I don't see Parisi doing that. But uh, it'd be interesting to see if Suter would, because I think Dunbar's gonna be, he's a great player. So I think he'd be important. But I think it I guess it'd be just easy instead of having to trade make a trade of Seattle and cause more uh, more uh, complications to just accept you're gonna lose a player. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I don't know about what you just said there, but I mean, uh, but from Zach's perspective, I mean, you know, um, I, I don't disagree with you that, that he's probably not going to be jumping at the opportunity to help the organization right now, but I do think that when he lets a little of the emotion dissipate here, um, you know, for somebody that, that um, is very cognizant of how the fans think of him in his hometown and his reputation, I think that... Um, if he knows that Seattle's not going to take him, I don't see why he wouldn't just say, hey, you know what, yeah, if it makes your job easier to protect the player by me waving, which is just a procedural formality that that there's no chance of him winding up playing in Seattle. Although, heck, at this point, he might want to play. He might want to play anywhere um, other than here. But, um, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't see why he would he would play hardball like that with Billy Garen. That could only backfire, right? I mean, if all of a sudden the Wilder lose a big player and it's very clear that Zach Breezy didn't wave his no move, I mean, it can only hurt him reputation-wise. So I, I think he would do for the, the good of the organization. I would hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, I think he, he's just, a, it's a sticky, it's just really, as you wrote, it's a sticky situation with him, you know? It'd be hard to buy him out, even though you'd probably want to, because you'd have to take on the massive cap hit. He would. He probably wants to play somewhere else, but nobody's probably gonna trade for the contract. So I guess he. I wonder, as you as you uh, wrote, I wonder if the only option is getting to just try and approach him and try and convince him to take a lesser role. I don't know how. I don't know how difficult that's gonna be, but I. I just feel like the, you have the. I think the best direction to go going forward is to just play the. Uh, not necessarily the younger prospects, but the younger guys. Like you have a Kaprizov and Ek and Sturm. I think you build you build your team around those kind of guys, and I think you have to phase out the older players. But it, it's a very delicate balance that you're gonna have to face when it's a major contract of four years left, and I don't think in a flat caps. Uh, you can speak more on this because you're very plugged in, but it just seems like in a flat cap uh, world, no team's gonna want to take him. Yeah, I, d- I don't disagree. Plus, I mean, then you you know, then you've got to protect him. You know, so it's not going to be easy to trade him. I mean, and and you know, even if Billy was willing to take on half the contract, um, you know, so uh, I don't know where it's going to go. I do think that Billy's going to have a heart to heart with him and try to get him to embrace this role because if Zach Parise plays the way that he played um, during the last three games of the playoffs in a third and fourth line role, I think the Wild would absolutely 
um, benefit from that, you know. Um, and so if he, you know, he's got to embrace that. But where, but there's got to be a give and take. Like Zach will embrace that if if he gets a real reason why he wasn't on the power play. I mean, it, you know, the you can't tell me that that having uh, Victor Rask on the power play, being soft on pucks and pucks flying out of the zone all the time, or Hardman, or Benino even though some of them are different positions, that's a better option than Zach Breeze in the power play. So that's the type of thing that Billy's going to have to explain to, to Zach, and there's going to have to be some sort of compromise going into next season. For, you know, I think Zach, at even strength, would be willing to play in a third or fourth line role um, if he knew that he was getting some special teams time. Uh, you know, And so that's the one area where I think the Wild are going to have to explain something to him uh, that's going to be music to his ears. Yeah, I think so too. Speaking of the special teams, what – Obviously, that was probably the poorest aspect of the of the Wild this past season. So, what do you think can be done, like whether internally or externally, to improve that on the power play? Because they now they had the second best or the third best. They were top five in the league in penalty kills, but they're just really anemic on the power play. Like they went two months without a power play goal. So I'm I'm very I'm very anxious to see what is done, maybe more so internally to address that. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, look, uh, they've got to get somebody, first of all, that's going to win centers. I mean, they're the worst face-off team in the NHL, and I know that some fans like to, uh, you know, uh, roll their eyes at, at face-offs being important, but when you're in the offensive zone and you start off with a loss, I mean, you now, now you're scrambling probably the rest of the power play. You got to chase it down 200 feet and all that stuff. So that, that would be the first start. Um, look, their, their number one unit has talent to score. I think they've got to figure stuff like that out and, and simplifying their second unit. doesn't have a ton of talent, especially in the playoffs, um, where they, you know, they, they, they obviously, they had, you know, pretty good on the back end, obviously, with, um, with uh, what was it, Suter and uh, Dumba back there. But, but up front, you know, Hartman, Benino, and Rass really doesn't, doesn't cut it. So that's one area where they've got to definitely improve. Um, I think that, um, you know, I don't want to keep on harping on Parisi because I know that again, uh, you know, when the when the power play got off to just a rotten start this year, Zach was a mainstay on that. So that I think that's what he was sort of paying the piper for. But there were a lot of people on that power play that were just got awful. That's continued to be out there on the power play in the, in the last two three months of the season. So that's one area where they've got to, you know, again come to terms with Zach and figure out a way to get him on it. But I think that's one area that could that could be helped. Um, you know, I do think that that um, they've got the talent to get it done, but it all starts with a you know a better centers, um, and I think that they've you know got to get to that point where they they you know um, upgrade that. I think if they upgrade the center position, I think it's going to fix a lot of things about this team in all facets. You know, even strength, power play, penalty kill, everything. I think you're right. I think I just I just I just cautioned that I. I just don't know how uh, what what center they'll get, uh, so it'll be interesting to see that. I know a lot. Of, I don't think I don't because I don't think Rossi will be ready opening night. I think I think it's fair to assume Boldy or Addison might play on the on the big squad opening night, but I don't think it's I don't think it's realistic to assume you can just insert Marco Rossi after not playing eighteen months. Exactly. Just have him be it's okay. You're gonna be our center, but I guess that. Not not to harp on it too much here, not to take too much of your time, but I'm just I'm just tr- trying to wrap my head around what what they could do at center. That'll be yeah. I, th- I bet you Billy Garen is too, um, because I agree. With you. I mean, like like there's no like Rossi's not making the team out of camp. I, I mean, he's just not. You know, I, I appreciate that he's motivated to make the team out of camp. He's not. 
I don't even think Matt Boldy is going to make the team out of camp. So, like, that's just not the way we've learned how they operate. They feel like guys need to play in the minors. I mean, Billy Garen grew up in the Devils organization where all guys had to pay their dues in the minors, and that's going to happen with Boldy and Rossi. Not to mention Rossi's been off 18 months. So I don't think either of them are an option right off the hop. So you're right. I mean, I, he's going to investigate the trade market, and then if he doesn't investigate the trade market and can't make something happen, or if he investigates the trade market and can't make something happen, he's going to have to sign guys in free agency. But you're right. There's no easy solution here. There's no easy to just, you know, I can tell you right now what's going to happen. It's just impossible. Um so we're going to have to, you know, but we're going to have to see what he does because I, I just would be blown away if they entered next season with the same center situation that they're in now. It just, it's the, to me, it's the clearest weakness of the team. Oh, it absolutely is. I think it, it, it'll definitely, it'll be fascinating to see what the, what they do. Uh, as I mentioned, Addison, obviously you said, uh, I don't, we can assume Rossi won't be ready, but one player who I've, uh, who was a young player who I was really impressed by who played in the in this in this past series was Kieran Addison. I, if we if we can assume that one of Dunbo or Susie is poached by Seattle, is it fair to assume that Addison is ready for a bigger role? You think maybe like on the on the se- on the second line or maybe uh, I don't know. He I think playing next to a veteran like Ian Cole definitely helped build his confidence. But I think the reps I think. I, I don't know what you think, but I feel like if we if they were to lose Dunbo or Susie, I think he could be a valid option. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think he needs more time. I mean, you know, he looked to me like a rookie in a lot of times in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I didn't see uh, didn't see much. Um, you know, to me, they've got to get bigger and stronger back there, too. I think that's a weakness of the wild blue line. I mean, they're mobile, and they've got the ability to, to off, uh, you know, be offensive. But I'd, I'd prefer if they lost a Dumbo or a Susie for them to go get some, some sort of big, tough uh, so, uh, defenseman, some size back there, because they don't, they don't have any of that right now. Um, you know, I don't think Susie is that guy. Um, you know, I think Cole plays a tough game, a rugged game, block shots and things like that, but he's not the hardest hitter in the world. They need some grit and intimidation back there and that I don't think they possess. So um, I, I personally think that Addison's not ready, but uh, you know, he's played three games in the regular season in three games in the playoffs as a 21-year-old defenseman. That is not somebody that should just be anointed to the NHL, in my opinion, but we'll see how he looks in camp. Yeah, that's fair. I guess I guess maybe I just, I was just a recent, recency bias from me. But So you, men- you mentioned, obviously, it's not, like you were right, that it's not a rugged, it's not a, it's not a big de- uh, defensive line. But I'm curious what, how, the, it's just impressive that even though they're more mobile, not necessarily physical, how they still managed to get 70 hits in those first two games. I yeah, well, so. I think that's bogus. So, uh, trust me, they are, that is, those uh, offense officials sat right above me in the press box, Amir, and uh, if you breathed on somebody, they called out a hit. Um, there's a reason why the hits were, like, cut in half and more when it got to Minnesota, because the guys in Vegas don't know what their hit is, and the guys in Minnesota know the definition of a hit. So, um, you know... I, it's you've hit on a point that uh, just drives me absolutely bonkers with the NHL that you have offense officials that have complete different definitions of everything. I mean, we saw it in this year with Colorado and the what they call a shot in Colorado compared to Minnesota, and Minnesota's right and Colorado's wrong, and same thing with a hit. So, um, 
you know, let's put it this way. Games uh, three, four, and six wasn't suddenly soft games in Minnesota, right? I mean, they were the same games. And yet uh, there were 130 hits in game one in Vegas and 100-something hits in game two. And then all of a sudden went down to like 50 in Minnesota. So are the placement of the ice fish officials, of the off-ice officials, are they different depending on each city? No, no, no. Uh, Vegas just doesn't know how to define a hit. They just, if you hit, if you bump into somebody, they give you a hit. I mean, and, and uh, it's just, um, trust me. I mean, there was one, God, what was it in game two? Game two or five, it was hilarious, where somebody, ac- a wild player accidentally bumped into another wild player and they gave the hit. I, I mean, the guy is right behind me in Vegas and he's calling out. He's like, you know, home seven on, you know, on, 22 or whatever and you know it just was constantly stuff like that he was just screaming on that and and uh it was just it was just i don't know it just became comical so um i would definitely not um so um yeah i think it's fair i can can understand why a lot of the fans were complaining about the officiating i i don't think it's all on that i think but i think i do think one one thing that was uh, expressed is what happened last night in in Colorado that you had uh, Reeves, but he Reeves finally got his comeuppance somewhat for what he did in Game Seven. Uh, was it Game Six or Seven when he when he sma- when he uh, it was Game Seven? So what what he did there and it wasn't called. Then uh, what happened last night? It looks like fin- they finally called it on him. So that's. Yeah, but I mean, just, uh, it's just well, one. They, call, they they called him for a penalty on Suter, but it should have been a major. And then their, yes. their re- rationale was ridiculous that it, they can't call it boarding because it wasn't on the boards. Well, then call a match penalty. He tried to injure him. Like you know, this is where sometimes, and I don't blame the refs for this because those are two good refs. But but you know, sometimes you got to have an awareness of what's going on in the series and all series long and for really three years. Ryan Reeves, for some reason, goes after Ryan Suter. And that one was, I mean, he shoved him into the goalpost. He absolutely knew what he was doing. And so as a referee, to me, you have to have some awareness there. Um, and um, and by the way, I don't think anything's going to happen to Ryan Reeves at this point because it's 1036 on a Monday, and not, there's been no word that he's got any sort of hearing. So so I, I think he's probably getting off scot-free for what he did last night as well. So, um, you know, uh, it's, uh, I don't know, it's just, uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I guess, like, like I was telling the others, and like as you as you wrote wrote in your columns, it's just it's a more physical game in the playoffs. And I guess, whatever moves they will make in this off season, they'll need to address the more uh more uh, being more uh aggre- not necessarily aggressive, but being more uh more uh, less susceptible to physicality. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's not even more susceptible to physicality because I don't think that Vegas ran him out of the building by any stretch. I mean, obviously, Brodine got hurt and Susie got hurt and things like that. But, you know, v- Vegas players got hurt as well on some hits. Uh, you know, no shit, obviously, people like that. Um, but it's more just fighting to get to those dirty areas because obviously they're not, they don't call interference in the playoffs. They don't call cross jacks. They don't call hooking and holds. So it's like, how do you get there? So you got to fight through it, and, and the Wild just have to do a better job of doing that. You know, I mean, it's that simple. Absolutely. One more thing, one more question. Somebody asked me this. I just I just remember when we were talking about the defenseman, if, if, you, if they lose a defenseman, a physical guy that makes it. I, 
I told him no, but you, could you see Seth Jones being a possibility for the wild? I, I told this particular gentleman no, but I just wanted some clarification yeah, I mean, the only on way the record. Seth Jones would be a possibility is if you traded Dumba for him straight up, right? Maybe, maybe that would be, you know, you know, it's funny you brought that up, Amir, because people right away asked me on Twitter yesterday if that would be a possibility, and I right away was like, well, they don't really need him. But then you start thinking, all right, they're going to lose D, maybe. Um, they might have to trade Dumba. Uh, you know, so could you maybe make a Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson trade, a Seth Jones for Matt Dumba trade? Who knows? I mean, I'm just making this stuff up, but um, it might be something that that you know Billy might actually want to look at. Uh, you know, but I'd be careful of that because if he's not going to resign there, maybe Seth Jones in the back of his mind knows where he's going to want to play, and maybe it's the bright lights of going home to Denver. Or maybe it's uh, uh, you know playing in a big you know big city like New York or or um, or Miami or or whatever. Um, you know, my gut says that Seth probably has an idea of where he wants to go to. Um, and so you don't want to make that trade. And then all of a sudden Seth doesn't want to resign here. So, but I love that player. And, um, you know, if, if, if Dumba is not going to get you Jack Eichel, you know, maybe it might be worth at least making that phone call. Right. If you're Billy Guerin, who knows? And that was his argument. I told him what, what you just said. I said, well, if he, there's no guarantee he'll resign, but. His yep. uh, his argument was that exactly that. That's well, if you're gonna lose a defenseman anyway, you might as well replace him with with him. And I yeah. love I love him as a player, but I just I I couldn't see it being as a realistic option from my yeah. from my perspective. I'm looking up his uh, his cap like right now, so he's already at five four. He's a year from UFA. You're probably gonna have to. I haven't done any comparables, but I gotta think he's an eight million dollar defenseman. Uh, so that's two more than Dumba. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it might be something to consider if you can't get an Eichel or a Barkov, right? I mean, uh, it might, it, and, and you're going to lose Matt. Um, because remember, Matt's also two years from UFA. So, like, you're gonna, are you going to really give him a raise in a couple of years? So it might, at some point, you got to move Matt. Um, and so, I don't know. It might be, might be worth making that call. Absolutely. Why do you think his... Why do you think his uh, his value was so low as it was? Like, obviously the we we know that uh, Billy tried to trade him last off season, but yeah. there were no takers. Well, why do you think that was? I mean, he's he's a good player. Do you think it's his in, uh, his past injuries? Like, it's just the decreasing value. What, what do you think that was? Yeah, I mean, he was coming off a tough year, and I think people were scared of that. Um, I think he had a much better year this year. Offensively, he wasn't as much of a threat, but. But he does so much for this team, his energy, his competitiveness, um, you know, his physicality, um, the, the, his ability to play in different situations that you would hope that his stock might have raised this year. Um, and so, you know, it was just a poor timing that Billy was trying to move him because he was just coming, you know, he had the major injury two years ago. And then last year, probably not unexpected, he had a tough time, you know, sort of getting his getting his game back on track because it was such a major injury and it really delayed his rehab and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, maybe it'll be easier this year, this summer training him. But again, I mean, in real money next year, he makes 7.4 million. That's a lot of money from that dumb. So, um, that could really inhibit, uh, you know, a team willing to take him on. And the other thing is, can you trade him before the expansion draft? Because whatever team you trade him to, they've got to have room to protect him. And so that might be difficult. So this is not going to be an easy summer to move him either. Yeah. Before I let you go, just curious, again, uh, with the flats cap, what's what is the wild situation? I know obviously they have to they'll have to ex- uh, give extensions to Kaprizov and Ek and uh, uh, and possibly Fiala. But 
for 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 us all, can you just lay out again what the cap situation is? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I don't know if cap friendly is completely up to date because I think they're they've got people in their roster, like some of the taxi squad guys that um, you know shouldn't be on there. But um, but uh, let me just look at it real quick. So right now, cap friendly has the wild at. 17 million in cap 17.8 million in projected cap space but again they've got guys on their their roster right now that really shouldn't even be there so i my gut says they got a little more um kaprizov's gonna you know if you go long term with them it's gonna have to be in the eight million dollar range maybe a little less if it's a shorter term deal um you know my gut my gut says though that if he wants five or six years at eight million you might have to give it to him um you know fiala's to me is gonna be in the six million dollar range and eck would be in the four or five million dollar so that's already getting you above that, and you've got other players to get, which is why I think that they, you know, almost, you know, could welcome a couple moves to free up some of this cap space this summer. Um, so they don't have a ton of space, um, which is why, you know, I keep on saying, like, if they were going to go after Eichel Amir, they've got to give up major money in that deal because he makes $10 million. So you know it's got to be Dumba and somebody that they're not going to resign, like, say, a Fiala in that deal or something like that. So, um, you know, uh, you've got to free up cap space to do it in this type of climate that they're in. So that's why right now everything is so up in the air. Um, you know, I don't even know if Bill Guerin knows exactly a plan of exactly how he's going to get all this done. Oh, that, absolutely. I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think any of us know. But all we can do is just make an educated guess and just try and try and sort it out until we all know. That's right. That's but, what I try to like do. Like every, like everything, <laughs> like everything else in life. That's all we can do. Just. Rationalize yeah. it in our brains. Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about it. Well, thank you so much for your time, sir. I, again, I I know you're a busy man. You have uh, great the great columns you write. People can find you on the Athletic. So I I appreciate you make carving out some time for to come on. Yeah, thanks. Anytime, Amir, and uh, thanks as always for the support. Um, you know, I remember meeting you years and years and years ago at uh, Terracino in uh, downtown Minneapolis. If you remember. Uh, of course. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate uh, you having me on. It was a lot of fun, and uh, you keep up the good work as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much again. Yeah, thanks, and send my best to your family. I will. All right. Take care, bud. Thank you so yeah. much for your time. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Michael Russo has left the meeting alert. Alt. Alt. Ping. Ping. Zoom row. Zoom window. Zoom window. Zoom. Zoom meeting. Zoom meeting. Alt. End meeting or leave meeting. Leave meeting button. End meeting for all button. Zoom window. Zoom. Zoom converting the meeting recording window. Zoom converting the meeting recording window. Stop recording. Stop recording. Oh shit. I want to thank uh, Russo again for his time. Uh, sorry for the la- sorry for that delay at the in- at, at at the end of the recording. Uh, so I apologize ap- apologize about that. But again, want to thank uh, thank Mr. Russo so much for his support and his uh, his willingness to come on and provide knowledge about this uh, wild team. Because although it was a tough series that they lost, unfortunately, we think these days just with the other teams in town struggling, it's like well 
I saw Minnesota Sports as usual. But I really think I really do think this wild team is on the rise next year. Uh Kaprizov is a really good player. He's probably top top three, top four best of the best young uh, young players in this Minnesota. I think you know what? He might actually I I'll have to do my ranking at some point. I know uh, a guest next from ne- next week's guest Phil Mackey, he had his list of the top twenty five under twenty five. So I'll have we'll we'll talk with him when he, when he comes on. But I I think now that I mentioned, I think Kaprizov might actually be the best young player of all the Minnesota sports teams right now. So they have him. They have a, that's one building block. I think Talbot's a really good goalie. I think they have a good 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 defenseman. Unfortunately, it looks like they'll lose one as. We talked as Rus- as we we mentioned with Russo, uh, in the expansion draft, but they have a good defense. I think this team could be good ne- ne- for the next couple years, assuming they can uh, insulate a couple more pieces. Um. So again, uh, want to thank uh, thank Russo so much for coming on. Uh, it'll be interesting to you know int- it'll be interesting for us to to monitor going forward here on this podcast the next eight weeks. Uh, to see what the what will happen with the wild in the expansion drafts and with trades and with f- potential free agents, so it'll be very interesting to see. Um, thank you so much, guys, again, and I hope you guys have a great day. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you later.